You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. So I want to start by thanking everyone for their thoughtful feedback on last week's episode on menopausal hormone therapy. I'm always a little apprehensive when I wade into those kinds of waters because I know it's a topic that many women have very strong feelings about, and it's also a topic that can elicit a lot of emotions. And it's pretty confusing as science tries to catch up. So I was really pleased, but I will say not surprised by all the balanced, intelligent discussion that followed. You all are simply the best. Okay, so this week we're shifting gears and talking about some more fundamental topics, namely lifting heavy shit, plyometrics, and high intensity exercise. We know that lifting heavy, dynamic exercise like jumping and adding intensity to our routines helps us stay strong and powerful as our bodies change during the menopause transition. But where do we start? What if we can't jump? How do we lift heavy if we don't have heavy weights? If you're a coach or trainer, how do you help clients ease into all this if they've never even picked up a weight before? So I called up Carrie Ann Madden, who is one of the leaders of the Menopause for Athletes alumni group, to dig into all of this. And she had some really great ideas that I'm stoked to share with you guys this week. I hope you all enjoy it and get as much out of it as I did. Carrie Ann is the creator and owner of CAM Fitness and Nutrition. She is a weight-inclusive National Academy of Sports Medicine Master Trainer, a Precision Nutrition Certified Coach, a Corrective Exercise Specialist, and a MedFit Network member. She has completed Dr. Stacey Sims' Menopause for Athletes course and puts all of her expertise to use with the clients that she trains who are in the menopause transition. You can learn more about Carrie Ann and her work at camfitnessnutrition.com. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes. Oh, and I just want to make a little note here. In this interview, I talk about a study on women and jumping. And that study, I looked it up, included women in their 40s and 50s, but it was not on postmenopausal women specifically. So I just wanted to specify that. All right, before we get to the interview, you can Find us, as always, at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. You can join our Hit Play Not Pause private Facebook group and join all of our conversations. If you like the show, please subscribe and share. It helps others to find us and for the show to continue to grow. And it is. And I thank you. And just a reminder, Dr. Stacy Sims and I have our next book coming out next month. It's Next Level, Your Guide to Kicking Ass, Feeling Great, and Crushing Goals Through Menopause and Beyond. And we dive into the science of training and nutrition and lifestyle. You can pre-order it right now at feistymenopause.com. Just click the tab for Next Level Book. And by pre-ordering through our site, we'll give you four free bonuses, including an adaptogen cheat sheet, a hormone cheat sheet, a guide to talking to your doctor or trainer about menopause, and a video presentation by Dr. Stacey Sims. While you're on the site, please check out our Hit Replay Podcast Guide subscription service. And I want to thank again to everyone who has subscribed so far. Some of you have told me you wish you had my Cliff-style notes when you were back in college, and maybe I missed my calling. But anyway, seriously, thank you. Finally, I want to thank Prevenex for their continued support of this show. 
I have not had joint pain since starting the Joint Health Plus product, and it's hard for me to express how much I truly appreciate that. So thanks. All right, enough of me. Let's hear about some of our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like feisty menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, plus even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice-cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Prevenex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Prevenex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. All right, Carrie Ann, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me again. And I'll just give people a little inside baseball. I recorded a show with Carrie Ann uh, two weeks ago, I guess we sat down. Yeah. You had bronchitis. It may not have been the best. You were not feeling the best, but um, thinking I was going to do one show all about Carrie Ann because I love her story. And as we got into it, I thought Carrie Ann is actually a really perfect expert source to be talking to, to get her advice on how to integrate a lot of the advice that we give a lot on hip plane up pause and in the feisty menopause channels about lifting and sprint intervals and integrating all this stuff into your life. I mean, she started talking about that and I was like, Oh, that's the show. And we had like 10 minutes left. So she's back. (laughs) Thanks for having me back. It's really great to have you back. And uh, I appreciate this because I do think it's going to be, I know it's going to be super, super useful for our audience because 
you know, we get, we give this advice and there's only so much you can give in an Instagram post. Honestly, there's only so much you could give in a book where that's one chapter because you could do a whole book on, you know, periodization and people have, you know, people have done whole books on this stuff. So I, I really just wanted to like, maybe start because we do talk about um, lifting heavy an awful lot, right? You know, that comes up again and again. And where do you start? with a woman who is in this phase of life and maybe she lifts some or she has lifted some, you know, in her past, just the kind of the generic shape magazine kind of, you know, 10 pound dumbbells, you know, like that standard stuff. Um, Where do you start with her when she wants to come in and lift? That's a great place for us to start because a lot of the women that I train are primarily general population ladies. I am not training anybody who's going to be doing an Ironman, people that I train, women that I train are just trying to get through the day of work, caring for kids, maybe their aging parents. A lot of them still have teenagers and college age students, but they're still trying to juggle all the things that go along with that. And then they're also on Facebook and Instagram and they're seeing all these menopause do this and menopause do that. And they're starting to notice some of the symptoms and starting to not feel good about themselves. So when they seek out my services, they kind of have an idea of some things, some of the things that other guests on the podcast have kind of rebuked that maybe we've seen on, on social media and given us better science for. So the women that come to see me often are knowing they need to lift weights primarily because they're bones. They, they haven't learned any of the other benefits to that yet. And, and hit play, not pause audience. They, they know a lot of the other benefits. Um, so where I start with them is we, we never start heavy because one of my primary rules of thumb in strength training with anyone is that we need to understand how to move well first, what optimal movement looks like, but not just looks like what it feels like in your body, the position of your limb when you're in good form, because we know that from exercise science and kinesiology, that when we move repetitively in not optimal joint alignment, that's where people tend to get strains and and tightness and fatigue. But then if we try to go add something heavy to that, a weight, and try to exercise with that heavy weight with those movement patterns or those joint imbalances, then people tend to get hurt. So where I start is with an assessment. Okay. To look at what are the movement patterns, a, a great place if, if listeners are like, well, where would I go to learn what right looks like and feels like um, a physiotherapist, physical therapist, they are often a great place to start if that and insurances around the world. I don't know how that works. I know some physical therapists who have started private practices, so they don't have to deal with the insurance portion of that. So that's one, one avenue someone could go to. Also, if you're looking for most personal trainers that have a corrective exercise specialty, 
they have eyes for that. Like they were, they're trained specifically on movement patterns and what optimal is. And so that's where I start with the women I work with. Like, let's see how you move without load. Um, and a, a description of it, if you can envision standing upright with your arms in line with your ears, like a big V, and you sit down to approximately the height of a chair while holding your arms up in that position, that shows me a lot about how your upper and lower body interact mm -hmm. while you are in movement. So there's no weight involved other than your body weight, but it's very interesting to see what types of faulty patterns happen when we're maybe over tight in one area and personal trainers like to say overactive muscles. Sometimes we see muscles that are overactive, but a lot of times when people try to do it for themselves, because a habitual movement pattern is going to feel normal. Right, right, right. So you feels normal that your knees are collapsing and now you're bending normal. Mm -hmm. It's just having someone there to be able to ask you how it feels and ask you, can you keep your knees pointed straight ahead, tracking towards your second and third toes and asking you different questions about how your shoulder feels and how it moves can help give them a picture of where you might want to work on some mobility for the areas that are overactive or over tight and then activating the muscles that become underactive, it's like the overactive muscles are a bully yes. and they won't let the underactive muscles do their job. So a great example is our pectoral muscles, our chest muscles. You know, we're sitting at a desk, we're kind of like rounded forward, our hands are on the keyboard or we're looking at our phones. Um, and those muscles are almost like in a mini contraction for those hours that we're doing that. And conversely, the muscles of the upper back get stretched and weak and underactive because we're just in that rounded forward position so much of the day. So that's where I take my client first, where, and I encourage people to look at for themselves is where are your, any of your movement imbalances first. And then we start to build a program off of that based on creating more mobility and stability around the joint, because once your joints are stable, in the good range of motion, then that's when they're better able to handle some load. Right. And Erin Carson talks a lot about that in her, in her work. I've had her on the podcast and you know, the, you, the way you talked about like the bully muscles, she taught, she, she, she describes them too. She names them. She gives them like genders for some reason. <laughs> like it's a whole thing. It's hilarious. But um, yeah, she's the, but it is a thing. If you can't access a muscle, you're not going to be able to maximize your strength in any exercise. And just put yourself at greater risk for injury. And that's the last thing we want, because if we're injured, then we stop training. And then when we stop training, we continue to not feel so great about ourselves, or we aren't experiencing the benefits of being able to lift and move well. So what, how, then once they go through that, what's the next step? So the next step is to create some endurance. So after creating stability, I like to, uh, I, my certification is with, through the, through the National Academy of Sports Medicine. I'm in, I'm through them too. Yeah. So 
Celine and I would be very familiar with something called the OPT model, and it stands for Optimum Performance Training Model. And it's a progression through five phases. And the first phase is called stabilization endurance. So that is about what we were just talking about, creating a lot of stability around the joint that you can hold your joint in place and that there's a lot of stability in the spine. So core strength. And so once we establish that, then I like to take them through what we call phase two, which is strength endurance. So in that phase, we superset exercises, something that is very stable and fatigues the muscle. And then we pair that supersetting back to back with an exercise that is, um, requires more stability, like in that phase one. Can you give an example? Sure. Um, since we were talking about chest muscles. Um, so imagine a floor press because some of our, our listeners might not have a, a bench floor press or a bench press. You're lying down on the floor, your knees are bent, your feet are planted, and you're holding two dumbbells in your hand and you're pressing them up towards the ceiling. So you would do that for a certain number of reps. And then you would directly with little to no rest right into something like a push-up, where it requires you to stabilize your joint a little bit more because you don't have the floor supporting you. And then you're using your core because you're in a plank position. And then if someone couldn't do that, you know, having a repertoire of exercises inside your head that would fit that bill um, is often very helpful. And then after we go through that phase, I'm just working our way. I know, I know. I feel like we want to jump right into the LHS, right? And, And I tend not to do that only because many of my clients are not lifelong athletes or maybe they're former athletes and they haven't been moving for a while. They've been running around after kids and sitting at a desk. So I take my time getting them there, depending on how quickly they can progress through each phase. Those phases may last four to six weeks, depending on how consistent they can be in their workouts. So then from there, the the third phase is called muscular development. So that is a heavier weight, um, but it tends to work on increasing um, muscle fiber diameter. It helps you have bigger, bigger muscles, but luckily for us ladies, even those of us with crazy fluctuating hormones, I I have never experienced uh, a woman under my care get bulky. It's just a, it's a misconception that's still out there, but I, I personally haven't seen it. So other trainers can weigh in. Um, That doesn't mean it, it could never happen. I certainly haven't trained everyone, but um, I haven't seen it happen. So it's, it's a good basis to have prior to the next phase, which is closer to the model that, uh, Dr. Stacy Sims recommends in her course that I took called Menopause for Athletes, which is a fabulous, fabulous course. So in that course, Dr. Stacy talks about a weight that you could manage for one to five reps and be able to do with adequate rest in between sets, five sets. Yep. So that's, yep. that's a lot of volume, not a lot of reps. You're only doing five at a time, but you're working at a weight that is 85 to 90, potentially hundred percent of what you could do one time. And I do love to get my clients there. Sometimes I can't because they don't have the equipment. A lot of my clients are choosing to work with me because they don't want to go back into a gym and they might only have dumbbells. So that requires us to be 
uh, really creative or looking at different different ways to do that, be able to challenge. How would you? I mean, that question actually comes up a lot. And, you know, you don't, you never, I, in my opinion, you don't ever have to get to one rep max. I mean, I just don't think that 99% of people need to do that. You need a spotter. <laughs> you really need a spotter. It's just, it's just not, it, when you put the, that risk benefit together, it doesn't make sense to me, but you know, certainly I do five by fives. That's one of my favorite, you know, I like, I think a five repetition is a real sweet spot for that kind of really stimulation that we're looking for lifting heavy. But if you have somebody who uh, doesn't have access to that, how do you kind of cheat that system for lack of a better way to put that, to get them to that sort of heavy spot without the heavy weight? I find out what is their most challenging position. So for example, I'll give you one of my examples. I really love Olympic weightlifting and it is important to do it with very good form because it's fast and explosive and it kind of fits the bill for the things that the menopause for athletes course was, is suggesting. So can you define that quickly for our audience, for those who don't know exactly what Olympic weightlifting is? Olympic weightlifting. Yes. So if you've ever watched the Olympics, there are exercises where uh, an athlete takes a barbell with weights on the end of them and lifts it from the floor to either catching it at their chest or catching it over their head with their arms wide mm-hmm. and in a squat position. So it is worth taking a peek on YouTube to look at the Olympic weightlifters because it is really an amazing sport, but it requires not solely muscular strength. It requires explosiveness off the floor, pushing into the floor, because as you push into the floor, that weight, the barbell becomes somewhat weightless so that you can drop underneath it in those positions. And so it's wonderful for that, but it's very technical. And um, I love CrossFit and CrossFit typically uses these Olympic lifts but sometimes I've seen, and it all depends on the CrossFit box, how well the coaches are teaching the fundamentals prior to someone moving on to trying to do as many reps as they can, as fast as they can with the heaviest weight they can. So that, that's the only caveat I, I see to that. So uh, what, how I was employing it the other day. So I could do a front squat and I can do a back squat, pretty heavy weight. My attempt was an overhead squat. So my arms overhead in a big Y position, holding on to a barbell and then sitting down, maintaining my spinal integrity mm-hmm. and holding and shoulder integrity and being able to sit below parallel. So my legs are pretty strong. And if I was doing a back squat or a or front squat, holding the weight in front of me, I could go much heavier, like two or three times as heavy as I could with this overhead squat. So that overhead squat, despite that it was at a lightweight, because lightweight, uh, weight, heavy weight is very relative. Relative, very relative. Very relative. So in that case, the next day, I was very sore. Like I felt every single muscle. It was a lightweight, yet it recruited more of, it had more demand on my body than if I had just racked the weight on my back and sat down and stood up because I don't have a squat rack here at my home. I have a little home studio here that my clients come to. So that might be an alternative provided my client could move well, 
what is the next level of difficulty that would require more muscles to be firing, more muscle fibers to be firing that would create that heaviness that a client would experience. That's excellent. Yeah, that's an excellent way to to take a backdoor approach to that. I think I really like that. Likewise, you know, we had we had talked about, well, before I get to, to the next thing, um, how do your clients usually respond once you get them to that heavyweight phase that they, I mean, do you see them like, do they get it? You know, do they feel better? Is it, I mean, is there any revelations there? Well, like everything, it depends. <laughs> some of, So I have some clients that are over 60. And while that is not old by any means, they didn't grow up lifting weights. So there is some hesitancy. And I think that because I've spent the time to show them how they can move well, and even in the, the earlier phases of phases two and three, they're still moving up to lifting maybe 75 to 85% of what would be super heavy, super, super heavy for them. So it's still doable. They're often not sore afterwards because they're moving well. Um, and if they are sore, it's usually in the very beginning, maybe a new exercise or a new routine. And once they get to that more phase four, and we're going to talk about phase five in a few minutes, I know we are, mm -hmm. that they have built up a level of confidence and trust in me. So I think half it's half and half. So I had uh, a woman here the other day and I had uh, my barbell out. So I have two different barbells. I have a 15 pound, which is considerably light. And then the standard uh, 35 pound, they also go up to 45 pounds, but I like the 35 pound because the hand, the grip on it is a little bit, the bar is a little bit thinner for smaller hands. And so I gave her the 15 pound bar and I had two five pound bumper plates on it. Yeah. So the weight sits higher off the floor. Yeah. If the weight is higher off the floor and I'm standing above her for a bench press. And she looks at me like, Terry, I don't know if I can do this. And I keep very good record of their, their, my clients exercises. And I said to her, well, the last time we did this with dumbbells, you were able to do 20 pounds with each arm independently. So I am a hundred percent confident that you can bench press 25 pounds. And she was, and it was great. And then we added on. So once the confidence is, confidence is built, I use the warm up to help them be ready. So yep. it was five sets with the 25. And then I added smaller increments on like um, Cassie Nyman. Nyman, was that her? Oh, um, Nyman. 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 Cass Cassie Nyman. Yeah. Cassie Nyman. That was a wonderful podcast. She talked about fractional weight plates. Yes. So they're a little tiny one quarter, two thirds, one half. And I add those onto the barbell so that as my client goes through their warm up, they may have done a couple sets of five and building up their confidence to, okay, here's our working weight today. And this is something you're only going to be doing five of. And by the time they get there, they're feeling pretty good. That's awesome. No, that's great. So then the, the next, like we do talk about plyometrics and if lifting heavy is intimidating, jumping is often exponentially. So, you know, depending on, on the person and, 
you know, some people it's not something that they can really access, you know, depend, depending on all kinds of things, whether it be joints or whatever their health uh, limitations might be. So how do you work plyometrics into the picture? It's taken me a lot of trial and error and taking some courses to try to figure out how it would be best employed in people that A, are either hesitant, right? Because sometimes fear just holds us back. doesn't totally. mean that we necessarily can't do it. But just building up that level of confidence, I found a few things that really help. And I, and prior to the podcast, just because I felt like I wanted to have some science or something to share with everybody. And, and, and true to everything that you've ever said, Celine, there's like no studies on women about jumping. There's a great it's a great one on 70 year old men. There is one because I covered it in Prevention Magazine like 15 years ago. <laughs> and it, I'm not kidding. It's the one and only study I've written about. Um, and it was on an older population, but they only I mean, it was literally sort of just jump like jumping off the ground. And it was on bone health and it had a measurable impact on bone health. I can share that with you. I will. I have that one at my fingertips. I can share it with you. But there's not much more. Yes. And but the other thing I did is because I'll share with you what I've done and my rationale behind it. But I also wanted your listeners to feel like they could have confidence in this method that I've come up with that I, I pulled some of the other professional groups that I, I attend on Facebook and got a lot of feedback from the other trainers that were saying, Oh my goodness, I do that too. Oh, I heard it at this seminar at, at this place. And I heard it, but a Google search did not bring up anything of anybody talking about this. So how I approach it is I, I call it threatened to jump. So you're sitting down in that athletic position, your knees and your hips are bent, your arms are down by your side, and you are getting ready to propel yourself off the ground, except you're not actually going to leave. That act of the intention of wanting to leave the ground and coming into what we call triple extension. That means you're, you're up on the balls of your feet, your hips are straight, your glutes are activated, your arms are over your head and you're reaching. The, the intention of doing that is going to send a message to your brain, right? Like, okay, we're going to leave the ground, but you know you're not. That in my clients, just that practicing of the putting in the effort to jump without actually having any impact has had a significant effect on their, their balance their And then their confidence when we go to the next step, which would be to actually leave the ground. Do they ever accidentally leave the ground? Uh, sometimes. Yeah. And then they're like, whoa, I haven't done that since I was a little kid and jumped rope. So we'll also do the opposite as well. Start in that triple extension position and then drop down. Because one of the things that happens as we get older, those fast twitch muscle fibers, the ones that are primarily activated when we do something explosive, like jumping, that they we lose our ability to generate power faster than we lose our ability, our, our strength. And so my, my theory was that if I help my clients 
think through that process of what it would feel like to activate those muscles that would lift you off the ground without actually leaving the ground, I find that I get better buy-in at attempting it. And then it starts to have this crossover like, oh, I'm feeling a little bit more balanced in my everyday activities. And then, like I said earlier, I have this five pound bumper plate. So it's one of those big circles, but it's about a half an inch thick. And then that's, that's our first plyo box. Oh, nice. My clients, they literally jump up onto that and it's, it's a half an inch. I've never had anybody trip over it. And my, my client last week was so surprised. She, she just had, I had no idea I could do that. She said, and then from there, I just have more weight plates that I, you know, Maybe it's the 10 pound one. So that's an inch thick. And then we built up to being able to jump on a box or leave the ground or um, kettlebell swings are another great example. That's what a lot of the other coaches said. Oh, tell everybody on hip play, not pause about kettlebell swings. And while they are really wonderful, they're, they're pretty technical um, and just making sure that you're doing them with good form because more times than not, when I hear people talk about kettlebells, They'll say, oh, yeah, I hurt my back doing that. Or, oh, my back always hurts when I do that. Or my shoulders really hurt. So I think it's important to, to learn proper technique because mm-hmm. when they're done well, they can be a great non-jumping explosive movement. Totally. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And, and learning to hinge and hinge properly and doing that whole thing yeah. is really important before you start doing it ballistically and with weight. Um, so rounding out this trifecta of like higher intensity stuff, we also have high intensity interval training. Um, is that something that you prescribe in your workouts as well? It depends. I have a lot of clients that either have a treadmill or a bike, or I have a one client that has a skiing machine that goes side yeah. to side versus the ski. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. And I have a few clients with rowers. So the majority of people who come to see me are interested in strength training because most people feel like, Oh, I can go for a walk. I can walk on my treadmill. I can go for a run. And they don't think about that part too much. So I will often layer that in and make some suggestions and I have a few assessments that I do for the, the rower and I am not a rowing coach. I don't teach rowing, but I will just say on your rower, show me, tell me how long does it take you to go 500 meters? And then we'll start talking about, okay, you're ready to add some cardio into your weeks. Cause a lot of times people are just coming to me cause they're afraid of getting hurt with the weights. And they don't always seek out my opinion on cardio, but it's definitely part of the, the conversation. And I do bring it up because I, I, I talk about the course a lot, especially with women of our age bracket that, uh, because I want them to build confidence in them that I, I trying to stay up to date on the latest research and take care of them very well. So Cardio doesn't all isn't always the first thing that people ask me about, but I do employ it with my clients that are ready to take things to the next level. Excellent. And then let's talk a little bit about progression from week to week. When we when we talked in the past, you know, you had mentioned the importance of a deload week, and we talk about that a lot. And I think it's just so underappreciated. And you know, you kind of rebrand it for your clients, which I really liked because not everybody likes to talk about deloading. It sounds whenever you put D in front of something, it sounds negative. 
So let's talk about, especially for you know this demographic, the importance of that. What does it look like three weeks of you know building up in one week, doing other things so your body can absorb that training, or is it two weeks building and one week absorbing? Like, what does it look like in your practice mostly? Mostly, it depends on how consistent they can be with their workouts. So these are just regular everyday ladies that things get in the way and they don't always get in all their workouts. So it's more important to me, especially in the beginning, that we get in all the workouts to build the strength and the stability and core to be ready to do the really hard stuff. So if someone is being very consistent, then I really program that, and I won't call it a deload week, I'll just call it our stability week, our recovery week, where we are, our body is assimilating all the hard work that we did, and we're going to go back just to make sure that our joints and our core are in optimal functioning capacity before we go back and add a heavier weight. So we'll often, that that in-between week often looks like a phase one workout. And I have to tell my clients that they often feel like going to phase one means they're going to a beginner workout. And that doesn't mean that at all. It means that, right. You just like, you always have to keep that foundation strong. Yep. And you change the challenge. So uh, the challenge of the workouts that I give in a phase one are according to the level of fitness they've achieved, not taking back to day one when maybe they couldn't hold a 30 second plank, but they're strong enough to put their feet in the TRX and do a TRX plank, which if you've ever done that, you know that they are two different things, but there's still that stabilization endurance type exercise. And I find that doing a week of that works really well. How often do you do that with your, was it every three, every two, or that's just an individual? I'd say it's between every two and three weeks. It de- okay. Again, it depends on the consistency of them being able to complete the workouts that I've had programmed for mm-hmm. those challenging weeks. And then it also depends on, did somebody get a cold or did their kids, or they go on vacation and they were skiing all week. And so I really try to customize their workouts because oftentimes I feel like we all want like this one answer and it would just be so easy if we followed that one formula. Mm-hmm. And in the 11 years that I've been a coach in the beginning, I used to like want that formula and think that formula was real and, and is to an extent, but it is textbook. And then when we go to transfer it in our, to our real lives, stuff happens. Somebody didn't get a good night's sleep. Well, if they didn't get a good night's sleep, and things are crazy at home, then maybe that challenging workout with the lifting heavy weights and the plyometrics or the hit isn't going to happen that day. We might be doing just a mobility session. And then knowing that that I always felt that that detracted from my overall success in the beginning, that's what I thought. I thought that it was going to detract from my overall success and it never did. I always continued to get stronger when I listened to my body. So I'm always encouraging my clients, tell me, how was your sleep last night? What's, you know, what's stress like? There's this, I feel like we have this double-edged sword. There's this fine line. And on one side of that, that sword is, I really need to take a rest day or I need to take a mobility day. And the other day is, I really need to get out there and just do it. 
And, and I'm saying that from a person who has, is not a coach of Olympic athletes. So an Olympic coach, maybe Erin would have like a different way that she would approach that for her Olympic level clients. But the majority of us just want to continue to feel good and move well and sleep well and have joy in our life. And so that's why I, I don't have this hard and fast rule. It's how, how are you feeling today? How'd you sleep? No, I think that's, I think that's great. And I, I know Olympic level coaches and athletes, and that's a huge part of their process too. You know, you know, it's wisdom in knowing when it's not the day. Yeah. You no. Know, and there's wisdom in knowing when it's like, you've got to suck it up and, and you get to know those two different states of being, you know, and the difference between, between the two of them. So I think and that's that, the value of having a program, right? When you mm-hmm. have a program to follow that you have the building blocks in place, but then you can adjust because right. there's, there's a almost an end goal in mind, a little bit of an end goal in that, all right, we're, we're going to try to get to this weight this week, or we're right. going to try to beat our best on our, our row or whatever, right. whatever that happens to be. And some weeks we do that. And some weeks we don't, but overall at, at the end of the year or at the, you know, when, when we look back over the course of the year, there's always progress. Right. That's great. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot, and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos, and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support 
and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the otter is stuffed with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and Otter has taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down, good night, Irene. My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match and then use the code hit play all caps one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. So what might a sample like if you have somebody who you're working with, who's sort of doing all the things, you know, they're doing mm-hmm. some of the high intensity stuff they're, they're lifting in these ways, you know, the approach lifting heavy. Um, how do you work that into a week? Do you have them doing all the heavy stuff on one day? And then, a, you know, because it's, I think women have a hard time balancing the necessary recovery with also that high intensity. I really try to meet my clients where they're at. But overall, the majority of my clients are doing something heavy two days a week. Okay. And then there's a recovery day that I put in their their plan. And it usually involves things like myofascial techniques, such as foam rolling or uh, a lacrosse ball or something softer than a lacrosse ball. And just moving joints through ranges of motion and breathing. I talk a lot about breathing and relaxing into sensations and and just holding them can you elaborate on that a little bit sure like uh imagine that you were foam rolling your quadriceps because we ladies who like to cycle we have that or lift weights or quadriceps get tight so maybe i'm searching for two to three spots in that muscle area from my hip to my knee looking for a couple that feel tender And then holding on them and breathing. And when I coach somebody on the breathing, I say that first go to your happy place. Close your eyes and imagine your your favorite place to be. And then envision that it feels like a knot. If you've ever experienced it, it kind of feels like there's a knot or a bruise there. And then breathing into it like it's an ice cube and you want to melt it with your breath. And then just notice any tension. Is there tension in your upper body as well? Like, where are you holding tension and try to release into that? And it shouldn't be painful. Like you shouldn't want to jump off the foam roller and whack me with it because you're so right. mad. I made your foam roll. You should be able to, I'm not going to say it's super comfortable, but right. that you're able to relax into the sensation. And then I have my clients stretch that muscle. So we're getting the, the sympathetic tone, that on feeling of that muscle to help bring it down to a more relaxed state in in the nervous system. And then we stretch that muscle. So think of a quadricep stretch, maybe you standing up, pulling your heel towards your bum and pushing your hips forward, keeping your knees close together. So I may have them hold that and again, breathe. So that process is, you know, maybe takes a couple minutes, but that focus on the breath and the stretch really helps for that overall recovery from the strenuous 
days that we do. So I usually have two days of heavy lifting. So my clients can only manage one. Some of them can do three. So I really just have them listen to their body, see what the numbers are that they're able to complete in their workouts, and then make sure that we have one of these recovery mobility days where it's either something very light for weights, or I utilize the TRX a lot because I find that that's really customizable to making it easy, but not too easy. And that's a suspension system for people who aren't familiar with TRX. Yeah. And if they were going to do uh, any kind of high intensity interval training, would you have them do it on the same day they're doing their heavy lifting? Depends on how much time they have. Some of my clients just don't have enough time to do the weight training and then do that back to back. Right. But I almost always combine the plyo with the weightlifting days because that's, you don't have to do a lot of that jumping. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And I, I find that it works really well in conjunction with maybe the muscle group that you are strength training that day. So for an example, uh, squats, so heavy squats one day, and then following those directly with some plyometric jumps, whether it's the threatening to leave the ground if they can't leave the ground or actually leaving the ground or jumping up on something or jumping down from something. So that would be one example of how I would integrate the plyometrics on the weight training day. And usually the, the hit or the, the sit, the sprint interval training. The very short training. Yes, that they often find time to do it on a different day. Gotcha. And I'm not there with them when they do that. Is there anything else about this whole journey that do you think would be useful for our audience that we haven't talked about? I think the things that have been most important for me Mm -hmm. going through this transition was to know that I wasn't alone and I wasn't crazy because (laughs) I, I, I was going to talk about your own personal journey. I know my own personal journey. Oh man. It really, um, at the time that I was first started experiencing symptoms, I had a pretty stressful job. So I chalked it up to that. And then when COVID happened, I was laid off from my job. So I had an instantaneous vacation. I was technically furloughed for four months before the company had let 50% of the employees go. And so I had this four month paid vacation. And so there was little to no stress in my life, but I was still having anxiety and waking up in the middle of the night. And then I started having hot flashes and all the other symptoms that we talk about so much in the Facebook page and on the podcast. And it was actually through the podcast that I started looking at different solutions and trying them. Um, Everything from, I tried the tart cherry juice with the valerian root before bed. I do like tart cherry juice, but it didn't, uh, it didn't make any dent in my, in my sleep. I tried magnesium. I tried uh, black cohosh. I had read that somewhere and it did work for six months. And I, I tried some of the, I tried CBD. I tried um, THC and that <laughs> didn't help at all. And then I decided to look at uh, the menopause.org website. And there was a menopause specialist, a nurse practitioner in a town 
not too far from my house within 20 minutes. And I went and I met with her and decided that I was going to try MHT. So mm-hmm. I have been hormone, therapy. hormone mm-hmm. therapy since September and anxiety was the first thing to subside. So I was very grateful for that because my doctor previously had given me um, an antidepressant to help with that. The sertraline is often one of the ones, the Zoloft. Did it work? Um, a little bit, but not enough. Mm-hmm. A little bit. And so, and that was, it really was only slightly helpful with the anxiety. And I, I think, it, you know, when you asked me if there was something I would want to impart to everybody, or one more thing I'd like to say is that I, I think that it's a process and it's not, I find the solution and all of a sudden everything's all better. There isn't, for me, there wasn't a magic wand and it was trying things for a couple weeks or a couple months. And that before I tried a different intervention and not giving up on myself, despite any roadblocks, whether it was through a provider or another person or just my fatigue and apathy that I struggled with as well, that, you know, being kind and gentle with myself and when I was ready to do better seeking out resources that would help me. So it, is it a hundred percent better yet? No, but. Yeah. I was going to ask like, what is the hormones helped most with and what have they helped least with in your experience? No more hot flashes during the day less at night. Somebody had suggested bamboo sheets and I (laughs) just bought bamboo sheets. So I'm giving those a try. Last night went really well. They were awesome. Uh, So the night sweats seem to have dissipated completely. Uh, The anxiety is almost hundred percent gone, just normal, you know, things worrying about a parent or a child or, um, but I'm still waking up a little bit in the night. And I think the not freaking out about worrying about it in the middle of the night, we had we had somebody on uh, one time talking about the cognitive behavioral therapy is helping a couple of people on talking about that, like freaking out about being awake is not helping you get back to sleep. It's going to ruin my day. Yeah. And, and that's what I found has, uh, there's a lot of that mindfulness piece in there that's helped mm-hmm. me. So my encouragement to everybody would be seek community because even those days when you don't feel motivated to change anything, sometimes just being around other women who want more and better for their lives is enough to help you get through just one more day of not feeling so hot. No, that's all. That's very important. And we, you know, we get the question sometimes and the a show coming up is going to be all about that, or maybe by the time this airs, will be passed, but uh, Carla DiGirolamo is going to be on again, just talking about that hormone therapy has, you know, many applications uh, in and of itself, but it's not a substitute for the heavy lifting and all the other things because many, many reasons, but the hormones don't put you back in a premenopausal state is the easiest way to describe that. You still need to just pick up some of the slack where the hormones and the hormone receptors on those muscles have sort of left off. So, um, you're still doing all those things, still doing all those things. And we didn't talk about nutrition, but doing, doing all the things that you hear all the great nutrition, nutritionists, registered dietitians on the podcast saying, um, doing all those things. And has you, have you done something there? Oh, no. Have you done something there that has made a big difference for you? 
Yeah, it, the, the wine, the alcohol, I yes. all of a sudden have become very intolerant of it. And but I still love it. So I just know if I'm going to yesterday, I went to a winery with a friend and <laughs> there happened to be wine there. Had to be <laughs> wine there. So, you know, was it a little bit harder to sleep last night? Yep. But when I woke up in the middle of the night, it was because I chose it. Yep. It no, totally get that. Easier. And so today I was a little bit more tired than I might be had I not had it. So that's something that I've really had to limit much to my, I think Amanda Thebe says it. She's like really mad that she had to give it up. <laughs> I'm the same way. Now, anything else that's made, have you done anything with your macronutrients that's made any difference or have you just? Yes. I feel like I really have to pay attention to the amount and the type of carbohydrates I have in the evening. And mm. I'm not from, and it's not that I don't have a cookie or something like that. I don't, I just enter into my nutrition, knowing that if it's a birthday party and I'm going to go and have some cake and enjoy a glass of wine, then my sleep might be interrupted. Like that seems to that blood sugar. I have not done continuous mm. glucose monitoring, but you know, I think that that has definitely been a part for me. So on the regular, I make the choices that help me feel my best in the morning. And I'm pretty rigorous about sleep too. Like the bedtime routine is to my, my friend's chagrin. Like you can't invite me to do anything in the evening. I'll have to take a nap because I really value my energy because I, I expend a lot of energy during the day, like helping other people and, and staying positive. Nobody wants a grouchy personal trainer. So no, that's not what you're there for. <laughs> honor my energy. Honor my energy a honor lot. Honor your energy. Well, and I honor you. I thank you for coming here and, and sharing all this. I, It's really, really helpful for us to keep paying this forward and helping translate every, everything we're learning into real application, right? Because the it's, it's a complicated world out there. And like you're saying, especially once you're working with quote unquote, just typical women who aren't necessarily running marathons or doing CrossFit or doing all these things on their own. And even for a lot of people listening right now who are just venturing into this heavy lifting space, and there are a lot of them, you know, who maybe they've run all their lives, or maybe they've done triathlon for the past 20 years, but they've never really hit the weight room. Like it, knowing how to just make those first steps in is a, is a big deal. Well, that's our show. Join me next week when I sit down with my longtime massage therapist, Rosemary Rotenberger. We go deep, and I don't mean just deep tissue. This one went a lot of places I did not expect. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends 
And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.